0: You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at malvanechurchcom slash sermons. They will be in John again. We'll be talking about the last things John records for us of the in the life and teaching of John the Baptist. So, We've entitled this lesson, The Baptist Finale. It's not about the last musical thing my friend is playing down the street at the Baptist Church, but it's the last thing that John the Baptist told us. In John chapter 1, we had quite a bit of uh, John the Baptist. Now, he was pretty heavily featured, and now we have him again in chapter 3. In John's great prologue about Jesus, who was... The Word uh, was God with God. The Word was the center of attention, but we found one other man mentioned, and that, of course, was John. In John 1, 6, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. So this was John's message and mission. We'll see that directly in the things that we have this morning that John was there to guide people to belief in Christ. That's exactly what the book of John is about as John himself states. These <coughs> pardon, these things are written that you might believe. That's at the near the very end of the book. And so from the beginning to the end, this gospel as we've entitled it the guided tour to belief is about getting people to believe in Jesus and giving them the good reasons the god has given why they should so 98 times we've, as we mentioned it's 98 mentions in the book of John about belief in some sort in some form of the word so back again in chapter 1 John confessed that he was that witness he was testifying about the light he wasn't the light 115 John testified about him and cried out this is the one whom i said He comes after me, who is mightier or higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For this is the testimony of John, verse 19, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, I am not the Christ. And he said down in verse 26, where we get his famous moniker, first 1 we ever read about in Scripture doing this, and the act uh is named for the the act that he introduced with such uh clarity and so with uh, so much success in baptizing so many of the nation when they said who are you he said well i just baptize with water but among you stands one who you do not know <clears throat> it is he who comes after me the thong of whose sandals i am not worthy to untie and so then just after that when jesus did make his appearance. John would literally point to him and say, he's the one, follow him. Verse 29 of chapter 1. The next day when Jesus saw him, uh, she, Jesus, saw, Jesus was coming to him, and he said, John did, behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And then verse 35. And again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked, and he said, behold the Lamb Of God, and so John was, as it were, the opening act. He is at the place we're going to be reading today. He's going to be leaving the stage for the headliner. Uh, He's going to uh, he's made the way ready for Jesus. But we'll have one more teaching session uh, with John. One more explanation of what he's doing and why. And then, in the rest of the book of the Gospel of John, we're not going to have John come up, John the Baptist, anymore. He's going to be mentioned in passing. Uh, There'll be four references to what he did or to what he taught, but there'll be of what was passed. And John will, from this time that we read today in this gospel, uh, he will pass on from the scene. John will make a brief mention of his imprisonment, but he won't go into any of the details uh, that the other gospels do about uh, his arrest Uh, by Herod because of his conflict with Herod over his teaching about Herod's uh, life and his morality. Nothing about his arrest, nothing about his death. Uh, In John's gospel, it seems that uh, if you're reading John's gospel, there's a good chance you know that. Or if you are interested, refer to the other other gospel. So here's our text, the finale in John's gospel of John the Baptist. We're going to read from verse 32. uh, Excuse me. Uh, Verse uh, 22 down to the end of the chapter. So, John 3, 22 to the end. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came again into the land of Judea. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John was also baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him. From heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes, From above is above all. He who is from the earth. Is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven. Is above all. What he has seen and heard. Of that he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony. Has set his seal on this. That God is true. For he whom God has sent. Speaks the words of God. For he who gives. He. for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the son will not see life, but have the wrath of God on him. And so with that, we have John's final teaching recorded in this gospel. Uh, We'll consider this in two parts. We'll consider this in the baptizing part, and we'll consider this in the teaching part. And so we start with the fact that that Jesus was baptizing. I recently heard a fellow say he was arguing against the necessity of baptism. He said, you can't find any record in the New Testament of Jesus himself ever baptizing anyone. I thought, well, that doesn't sound right at all. But even if it's technically true, and it might be, but I don't think it is, but even if it's, it, yeah, it might be. Uh, we have statements like this, that Jesus was baptizing. And again, in the next chapter, chapter 4, it'll say, in that text, Jesus was baptizing there in verses 1 and 2, but it will qualify not he himself, but his disciples. And so it makes a difference as which person does it. If you If you're the direct supervisor of a job, does that mean that you're not approving everything that's going on and causing it to happen but anyway jesus and john are baptizing so we have jesus and he is he is baptizing and it's reported to john as we'll see in a moment that he's actually got more people coming now than john does and so it's almost like again like kind of i mentioned a while ago the opening act and the headliner well what if you're at a music festival and there's two stages And we've had the side stage, and somebody's been over there playing for a couple of hours, but now the headliner's gone over, and he's on the big stage. What happens at the side stage? People start drifting over. Now, if you're jealous type, you might not like that. You might not like that other people are going over to that other guy's stage, and they're over there uh, with him. But in this case, I think John wants them to go over there, because what's John's message? Follow him. That guy. Follow him. So people are doing that. They're doing what John has has told them to do. It's successful. But he's still out there bringing in more as well to point them to Jesus. So John was also baptizing. So Jesus and his disciples were baptizing in verse 22. John was baptizing also in verse 23. And as we mentioned, it says, John had not yet gone to prison What we find here is that they are doing because they are preaching the gospel of the kingdom that is coming, right? They are teaching people to believe. That's what John says believe in Jesus. And they're teaching people to repent because how was the message of John most often summarized? Repent and be baptized. And so they're teaching faith, repentance, and baptism. This is the message that they had in preparation for the work of Jesus that was to follow. And, of course, now that Jesus has come, that Jesus has accomplished his work and left us the church, what are we still preaching? Faith, repentance, and baptism. And so uh, they are baptizing both Jesus and John. It's interesting that in that time that he's doing that, it says there's, there was a Jew, there was a somebody who's not named, but there's a somebody who was talking to John's disciples and they were talking about purification. Well, when people are baptizing, even today, what, what ends up happening? Well, there used to be discussions about it. And so they're discussing purification. Now, purification can refer, in Old Testament and New Testament context, to either a uh, ritual purification, ritual purity, uh, things being sprinkled clean with water, uh, sacrifices being offered and the like. And it can refer to a ritual purification after a, an impurity. Uh, someone touched a dead body. Uh, someone touches discharges of the body of various types of which we don't need to, uh, the detail. Uh, but uh, you touch you touch the things that come out of other people's bodies. Uh, you, you touch blood, uh, that kind of thing. You'd be impure and you'd have to wash with water. And there'd be, uh, depending on what it was, there might be sacrifices or a visit to the priest or the like. And so there's these ritual impurities, now which behind them uh, do give us lessons about corruption and are instructive lessons about sins. And they are things that, uh, uh, you know, people uh, would, uh, would, would on a daily basis in Jewish life have to deal with. And we think about Jesus at the, back in chapter 2, when Jesus was at the wedding feast at Cana of Galilee, why did they happen to have six large water pots that each held 20, 25 gallons? Why, did they have these, why were they able to get these pots that held so much water? If I came over to your house and said, hey, I need 20 gallons of water. Give me the 20-gallon container. The, the what now? Well, first, why are you here? Two, what do you need that much water for? And three, do you think I have a container that big? No, you don't. And so unless somebody happens to have a 55-gallon drum that can be used for it, we're going to have to get several containers to just get one 20-gallon thing of water. But at that wedding feast, they came up with six of them on the spur of the moment. And why does the text say they had those? They were for purification. And so they 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 had purification rituals happening there locally enough that when they said, hey, get some water pots, they got six of them that each hold 20, 25 gallons. So purification and, and washing things in water, I, I think we don't appreciate how big a part of Jewish life this was and how common a thing it was. Well, these, ritual, these things of ritual purification always pointed to and were always at least uh, partially associated with the great purification, which is the cleansing of sins, right? right. And so when we talk about purification, We can also be talking about uh, forgiveness of sins itself, because that is the thing we really need to be purified from, right? I would be concerned if you came in here covered with, you know, discharges from somebody else's body and some blood. That that would be concerning to me. I would tell you to wash up. But more importantly, more importantly uh, than that is the state of your soul, right? A person can have blood on them, and there's various reasons why that happens, or we need to touch a dead body or the like, and... You know, look, wash up before you eat, please. Take a shower before you come home, please. But the bigger problem in life is what? Sin. Being forgiven is a bigger deal. And so purification might be about those things or it might be about forgiveness of sin itself because what was John doing? Baptizing for remission of sin. Hebrews 1 uh, verse 3, talking about Jesus. He's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Or Peter tells us this about the person who isn't making any kind of spiritual progress in sanctification. He said, this person who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And so we have the great purification in Jesus, which is forgiveness of sins. So what aspect of that they were talking about? I don't know. John's disciples, is, it, for, for the many hours a day over months and years that they disputed with uh, Jews, Pharisees, Sadducees, all of them, I bet they covered a lot of ground. But it appears, it appears that the, one of these Jews, maybe to kind of gig John's disciples, uh, kind of as maybe as a, uh, they, you know, somebody was losing the argument so they decided to become insulting They let John's disciples know, oh, yeah, well, that other guy, he's baptizing more than your guy. Because they came to John and said to him, verse 26. They said, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are going over to him. So I can just imagine this Jewish guy uh, in this debate about purification in this discussion. If it doesn't go too well for him, he goes, yeah, well, your guy's losing out anyway. (laughs) Your guy's getting surpassed by that other guy. What do you think about that? And they go tell John about that. And so John's disciples seemed concerned about that. And is John concerned about that? Is that something we need to be uh, concerned about? How, How do we do? Do we make a response to that? What do we do? What do we do with that? Well, this is where the teaching comes in. And John, now that Jesus is getting more disciples than him, keeps up the same message he had before. We read one twenty-seven a while ago. He who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, he's the one. And so here in verse 27 now of chapter 3, John said, a man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I'm not the Christ. So guys. You've heard me say this before. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one. I was ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. I'm not the groom here at the wedding. I am a friend of the bridegroom. I'm I'm one of the wedding party. So he's maybe one of the groomsmen. Maybe he's one of the ushers. But he's a friend of the groom. He who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of his voice. This joy of mine has been made full He must increase, but I must decrease. So John said, this is how this is supposed to work. I came to set things up for him. He is now here. He's doing well, and I'm glad for that, because that was my job. Uh, We think about, again, back in chapter 1, verse 35, where Jesus took John's disciples right from in front of him. And again, the next day, John was walking, it says, with two disciples, 135, He looked at Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two two disciples who heard him speak, they followed Jesus. So here's two disciples with John. John says, That's the Lamb of God. What do these two guys do right there while John's standing there? They walk over there, and they follow Jesus. Was Was John unhappy about that, you think? No, that's what he's here for. He's here to give disciples to Jesus. What those two guys did, what does John want all his disciples to do? He wants them all to follow Jesus. So these two guys, or however many guys, these guys come to John and say, hey, John, that other guy, the one you told us about, he's getting more disciples than you. And John says, that's the point. That's the point. I am part of the wedding party. I'm one of the friends of the groom. I am not the groom. Uh, the friend of the groom, uh, when the day is over, he does not go home with the bride, does he? he? He sees his friend go home with the bride, and he's happy for his friend. And when it's time for pictures of the wedding party, is that, is that groomsman, is he going to be in some of the pictures? Well, he might be, but where's he going to be? He's going to be off to the side. He's going to be in the back. And, but what's he going to do during those wedding pictures? He's going to be there smiling. Because why? He's there for his friend. He's there to see his friend uh, receive the accolade. He's see, see his friend get married. He's right there. And if he can stick around, if he sticks around to the end, who's going to be, you know, stacking up chairs and sweeping up the floor and helping out? This guy. Of course, we know in this case, and this is the bitter pe- bittersweet part of the story of John, does John get to be there at the end? No. We lose him before that. The, those of this world who oppose the message of the gospel, they, they uh, got rid of John before we get that. So John's not there for all of it, but he's finally remembered for the part that he had. And so John was happy to play that role. And John says, I know my role. I know I'm not the center of attention. And you think about John, by Jesus' own testimony, he's the greatest prophet of Israel. The greatest prophet Israel ever had. And how long does he shine? by just a few months or a year, year and a half, before one even greater than him shows up. But he was there and he knew it to bring things to Jesus. So then he taught about himself and his position with Jesus, and now he keeps on teaching, and he teaches us about Jesus' superiority. And what's interesting in the next couple of verses is how many things that John taught his disciples early on before Jesus was even claiming some of these things, Jesus—it wasn't yet time for Jesus to claim them uh, over his gospel. You know, he, he he becomes more clear about his claims, and he becomes more bold about his uh, te- <clears throat> teaching. <clears throat> his teaching about himself. <clears throat> but John, <clears throat> <pardon> me. <clears throat> but John, very much here at the beginning, he says so many things that set up big things to come. So verse 31, he who comes from above is above all. Well, he who comes from above is above all. He basically tells us, Jesus says, I come from heaven. Right? Jesus will say later, I come from heaven. And what's the reaction when Jesus comes and says, I'm, I'm from heaven? People didn't like it. And they started objecting to it over in John 6. This in John 6.33, Jesus said, For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Lord, give us ever more of this bread. He said, good, you got him, it's me. And they didn't like that. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and you don't believe. And so here's John. He, You know, if you would have listened to John, when John said, he who comes from above is above all, would you have any problem with Jesus saying, I'm the bread of heaven? I come from heaven? No, he's like, hey, you know what? I remember John said that two years ago. But they don't remember. And so we have in verse 41, well, uh, verse 40 and 41, I guess, 40. For this is the will of my Father, Jesus says, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. You know, we we read that and rejoice. But it said, therefore the Jews grumbled about him and because he said, I'm the bread that comes down out of heaven. Well, John had pointed that out a long time before. And then we read, About Jesus' true testimony. He said, Jesus is going to come tell you the truth of heaven. Verse 32. What he has seen and heard, he testifies. He testifies what he's seen and heard. Well, he's seen and heard heavenly things. John says, he'll give you the heavenly things because he's been there. And it says, though, no one receives his testimony. Well, we just read that in John 6, didn't we? His testimony was not well received. Now, it's interesting. He gives the general Verse 42 is the general rule that no one believes, it, no one receives his testimony. But then he talks about the exception, verse 33, he who has received his testimony. So we have two statements back to back no one receives his testimony, and then those who do receive the testimony. I think the best way to harmonize those two apparently contradictory statements is, is one is the general rule. And one is uh, the exception to that. So what about those exceptional ones who receive his testimony? He who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. God is true. And we have made that our seal. Now, the the Bible talks a lot about seals. And normally we think about in the gospel about that which God seals and which God has set his seal upon, uh, which is things like, again, back to, to John uh, 6, John six don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him, the Father, God has set his seal. So God set his seal on Jesus, and we think about what the seal is, right? So the seal is that... that um, that mark of authentication, uh, that mark that says, that's really me. You know, the, the wax is poured and, and the seal is set. And so our, our identifying mark, uh, our identity, as it were, the, our, our testimony of the truth of a thing, that is our seal. And so we think about Jesus has the seal of God on him. Or we think about this, where God has uh, set his seal uh, from Second Timothy two nineteen. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. So write it down. Mark it down. This is an identifying thing. You know this is true. It's 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 certified. The Lord knows those that are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. So that's the seal of God. That's the truth of God. That's, you can identify and mark that down as coming from God. Well, here when it talks about seal... It doesn't talk about what God has sealed. It talks about what we have sealed, what we have put our mark on. And so, how do you know that, uh, you know, that, how do you know a thing really came from Jay? Uh, I, you know, I work with the scouts, and uh, I have positions where I have to approve various things, and it requires my signature uh, or my initials on a thing. And over the last decade in scouts, I have given my initials. Given my you know unique way of writing uh, to uh, to literally you know thousands uh, of sheets of paper and thousands of little boxes, and I write in such a way that uh, you know if somebody hands me a sheet of paper, I can see if the, if I signed that or not. And there's other people I recognize their their writing. I recognize that they approved it or not, and because there's a unique thing about it. Well, here there's our seal, or the thing that we're certifying. The thing that we're putting our identifying mark on, and what is that? Verse 33 again, he who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true. So we, if we've received the testimony, we have marked it down as if that's you know, our affirmation or our certification or our attestation that we believe this or that we go with this. And what is that thing? that God's true. If, if you accept the truth of God, if you make that the way you're identified, if your identifying Mark is, I believe God, then you will believe in Jesus. That's what John says, because he is from the father. He's of the father. He is, he is God, the same as the father. So if you believe in the truth of God, It's as though you have made your own seal or your own attestation, your own, we'd say today, our own statement of faith, that this is what we believe. And because we believe it, then we believe what Jesus says. Now, it it turns out in this case, we are attesting to the truth, we have conformed with the truth, and we get the blessings of truth. Now, our attestation of it, that doesn't make it the truth or not, does it? Because is Jesus, is Jesus Lord whether I put my stamp on that or not? Yeah, Jesus is Lord. But I should really make sure that where I put my stamp, where I put my seal, where I take my stand is in accordance with the truth. Because there are people who have taken their stand and put their seal on things that that aren't true. And that will have some very poor consequences for all involved. So, Jesus gives the true testimony. The general reaction is... The testimony is not received, but for those who believe in God, they accept this true testimony. And then we have the true position of Jesus, verse 34. It says, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. So Jesus was sent by God, so he speaks the words of God. We already had that in John 6, right? And we have that many other places. He speaks the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. So the, uh, John would talk about I baptize with water, but he baptizes with the spirit. Jesus, when he gave the, the spirit to the apostles, what could they not do? You know, they, they had the power of God himself as they walked around uh, and taught this gospel to attest to it. And he says, the father loves the son. So this is why he lets him speak in his name and gives him these great things because he loves him. And it says, he's given all things into his hand. And so when he says, I and the Father are one in, in later chapters, and they you know, they lose their mind over that. Who, who told them that ahead of time? Or, or I think about this. When he says, he's given all things to his hand, what is the end of the gospel? You think about the, the, the very last words of the gospel of Matthew, the Great Commission. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Well, that's at the end of the gospel. What did John the Baptist, what did he say at the beginning of the gospel? Same thing. He's given all things to his hand. And so in these few verses where they're worried about John, he's getting more disciples than you. It's like, well, yeah, because he should. Because I'm here for him. Because he speaks from God. And God has given him everything. Of course, there's more for him. And really, it just outlines some of the main things that the rest of the gospel is going to explain. So, he's given all things to his hand. Well, so then, when later Jesus said, well, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You know, somebody, you know, Jesus, John said that three and a half years ago. No, you wouldn't say that, would you? You have all authority. Yes, sir. What would you like us to do? Uh, Oh, uh, go to all nations and baptize them and uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and teach them everything I command? Yes, sir. And, and that's what they did. And so John, John points out all these things that Jesus is going to do. And then uh, he says, lastly, in verse 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. Well, wasn't that verse 16 already in this this chapter? Isn't that what it's about? These are the stakes that the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God will abide in him. So there's your choices, eternal life or the wrath of God. John's already said they won't receive what Jesus said, and so they're not going to listen to Jesus. They're not going to believe in him. They're not going to trust in him. But those who do recognize this as the truth of God, take their stand there. They will trust. They will submit. They will follow in discipleship. And a lot of people just don't realize that these are the stakes eternal life or the wrath of God. If you do realize these are the stakes, and Jesus says things like he'll say in Luke, you know, count the cost. It's going to be difficult to follow me. People are going to say, well, I'm counting up, but, but the stakes are, are so high and the reward's so great and the, the downfall's so terrible, I'm going to follow you anyway. Or in Matthew's gospel, when he says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow after me, you're going to go, all right, that's, that, that's still what we need to do. I ran a cost-benefit analysis on this, and the, the benefits are with him. I trust in him. I believe in him. And again, in John 6, we see this conflict come up of what do you do when Jesus says things that are hard to do and hard to, follow, hard to swallow, both well, both metaphorically and physically. Verse fifty-five. For my flesh is the true food, my blood is the true drink. John six fifty-six. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And Jesus made that made that hard. He didn't make that simple and easy for him. And as a result, John six sixty-six. Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Yeah, there are some hard things, and people go, I, I don't. I don't think that's worth it. That's not what I signed up for. Well, what you end up signing up for instead is the wrath of God. And so Jesus asked the 12, he said, you don't want to go with me away from me also, do you? And Simon Peter said, Lord, where, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so Jesus doesn't always make it hard, uh, easy for us. He seems to make it hard, but he always makes it worth it. And do we trust in him when it seems hard? Do we trust in him that it's worth it when it goes against you know, our experience or other counsel we get from non-believers when other people say, well, you know, maybe you can just dip out on that. You don't need that so badly. Uh, he'll, he'll understand. No, trust in him or not. Believe in him because, again, verse 36, if you believe in him, you have eternal life. It's almost the same construction as the end of the Gospel of Mark he that believeth uh, and is baptized will be saved, but he who doesn't uh, believe will be damned. It's, it's the action and believing go together. You can believe in him or you cannot obey, right, in this passage. As in, in uh, Mark, you can believe and be baptized or you not believe. And so uh, the, because this idea of belief here, it's really about trust. It's about full submission. It's not just about, yeah, I think he's the, the Messiah. No, it's about he is the Messiah. I'm going to live like he's the Messiah. I'll follow and I will accept that discipline, uh, those instructions, because I'm a disciple. I'll be discipled by him. That's what believing and that is what this trusting to eternal life entails so john the baptist was right there at the start telling you to do it he didn't get there to see it but he told his people who were there yet yeah, you go and you believe him you be with him because he is he is uh, the the one thank you for listening to this sermon from the malvane church of christ additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.